Good morning. I'd like to apologize on behalf of Mantime to our wives and children for sending 60 men home yesterday smelling like crawfish. Like being kissed by the seafood department at Kroger. So, but we had a good time, and you can blame Austin Ryler's dam uh, and Zach Milstead for that. We had a wonderful time, though, and if you are a guest with us today, uh, we're really glad you're here. Whatever your story is, whatever brought you here, wherever you're at in life, wherever you've been, you're welcome here. Not just by us, it's Christ Himself who has brought you here. And He. Uh, might he minister to you today. We're in the middle of a really long sermon series where we are going through the Bible from start to finish. And last week, we passed through the waters of the Red Sea, and we left Israel as they were standing on that far shore. And they were a new people now. They'd been delivered from their bondage to Pharaoh. And standing on that shore meant that an old life was over. And a new life was beginning. When they crossed that Red Sea, they were purchased. They were bought. They were redeemed. And now they belong to a new master. But now, they had to learn what it meant to belong to him. Which is why this new master leads them out into the wilderness. The wilderness is a profound place in the Bible. So much so that you really can't understand the Christian life apart from an understanding of the wilderness and all that it represents in the biblical story, but also in the life of faith. And you already know what the wilderness feels like because you've already been there. The wilderness is that place where you feel disoriented and confused. It's where life doesn't make much sense and uncertainty makes life feel out of control. The wilderness is where we realize that we don't have the resources or the ability to change our circumstances and bring about the outcomes in life that we want most. It's where we feel powerless, helpless, vulnerable, exposed, and because of that, it's the place that brings all of our fears to the surface. And so much of our lives is spent trying to avoid those very places and situations. We want to get our lives to a place that can minimize as much unpredictability and hardship as possible. But in the end, the wilderness is simply unavoidable. So here's the bad news this morning. Every Christian will go through the wilderness. It's as certain as death and taxes. But here's the good news. It's God who leads you there. It's God who leads you into the wilderness. It's God who leads you into the wilderness by his steadfast love. We've actually... Seeing this from the very beginning, it's what he does. Because this passage is not the first time that we see the wilderness show up in this story, and nor will it be the last. Because God tells his story through the way of the wilderness. 
We saw God come to Abraham and make those extraordinary promises to him. And the first thing he does is what? He calls him out of Ur and into the wilderness for a 1,500-mile journey. We saw God meet Jacob out in the wilderness when he dreamed about that ladder. David spent the first large chunk of his life where? Out in the wilderness as a shepherd. We'll see Elijah run 200 miles into the wilderness and God will meet him on the mountaintop in the most desolate of places. We'll see God draw Gomer in all of her sin and in all of her shame out into the wilderness. And he says, I will allure her into the wilderness and there I will speak tenderly to her. I will remove her idols from her heart and I will make her my own. It's in the wilderness that I will captivate her heart. God leads his people into the wilderness because it's there that he draws us into a deeper fellowship and communion with him. So if you're in a wilderness kind of place in life this morning, be comforted. It's okay. It just means that God is coming after you. It's how he tells his story. It's how he will tell your story. He's going to lead you into the wilderness. And there he will speak tenderly to you. And it's there that he will captivate your heart. And if you remember from last week, I said that the story of Israel's exodus is a paradigm for understanding our salvation in Christ. It's an opening act, if you will. So you can think of Israel's story in three parts. They're rescued from Pharaoh and from Egypt and redeemed. And then they're brought out into the wilderness where they are prepared to then enter into the promised land. And that's a blueprint for understanding what Jesus has done, but he does it on a cosmic scale. He's delivered us from our bondage and slavery to Satan, sin, and death. But our promised land is not of this world. It's in the world to come, which means that this world, this life, is the wilderness. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter how big your home is or how little. It doesn't matter if you came up hard or you came up comfortable. Regardless, this world, this life is the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness of this world that he's preparing us for our true promised land. He's preparing us for our true homeland that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth. And God leads us into those wilderness moments and seasons of life to awaken us and remind us of the fact that we don't belong here. And he reminds us that he has something better for us. And he draws us deeper into communion with himself. So when we see all of that, that helps us connect with this passage because it means that what we see God teaching Israel in this story, in the wilderness, it's the same thing he's teaching us. So what is he teaching them? Well, in Exodus 16, we find Israel almost 40 days in their journey into the wilderness. 
There's a question that hangs over them, and it's the same question that we looked at last week that hung over the Egyptians and hung over Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh's question from the very beginning of the Exodus story when he said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? That isn't just a a question for the Egyptians or for Pharaoh. It's also a question for Israel. Now it's their turn to answer it. Who is the Lord and will they obey his voice? And it's not a very good start. We find them and they are grumbling from the very beginning. There's no Chipotle out there in the wilderness. No Chiloso with that beautiful... Blanco sauce that I won't go into it. And they start to grumble because they're hungry. It starts as a grumble in their hearts. Then they start to grumble towards each other. And then they start to grumble at, Mos- or at, at Moses and Aaron. And they say, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill all of us with hunger. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Moses and Aaron are trapped on a road trip with two million complaining kids in the back seat. And they just got started. It's going to be a long trip. Because did you hear all that? First, how they said that it would have been better for the Lord to have killed them in Egypt. They literally said that the Egyptians just got the better end of the deal. That's a strong strong statement. Secondly, they started revising history in their hardship. They said, back in Egypt, we sat next to meat pots and we ate bread to the full. Really? Where is that part of the story (laughs) They make Egypt sound like an all-inclusive resort. You at least got to give them points for their creativity and their complaining. But there's a lot more that's going on here than them just simply being hungry. Their hunger is just the circumstance that brings what's really in their heart to the surface. And this is what the wilderness does. It brings all that's in your heart out into the open. And for Israel, it revealed very simply that they do not trust God. They do not trust Him. Even after seeing all that God had done for them in Egypt, they literally just walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. They still act as though it never happened. They're still acting like Pharaoh, who completely disregarded everything that God had done every step of the way, and the only thing that he could ever muster at the end of all of it was, woe is me. And Moses tells the people exactly what they're doing. He says, you are not grumbling against me and Aaron. You're grumbling against God. And why are they grumbling? It's because their hearts are still in Egypt. Did you hear their fondness for Egypt in their grumbling and complaining? Looking back to Egypt as their comfort, we find out very quickly that even though 
Israel left Egypt. Egypt has not left Israel. The wilderness reveals that their hearts still long for all that bondage and slavery. Egypt is what captivates their attention. Egypt is what captivates their hearts. Egypt is what captivates their trusts, and they hear it calling them back. They hear it calling out to them. And they're still living like slaves, looking back at those chains as though they were a comfort, listening to the voice of that old master. And the same is true of us. The Lord leads us into those wilderness places in life to bring about those circumstances that will reveal what's really in our hearts. Because just like Israel, we've been set free from our bondage to slavery and sin and death, and yet our desire for it remains so deeply within us. And it's in those wilderness circumstances of life that our fondness for our slavery starts to creep back up to the surface. We remember those meat pots. We look to them for comfort. And we long to go back to those chains. And maybe it's bad habits or old behavior patterns that creep back up when you get stressed and when life gets hard. Maybe when you're hurt or you feel empty or you feel overlooked or you feel overwhelmed, you binge. You binge on ice cream or images. And in a tough season in your marriage, you daydream about old relationships and the promiscuity of a former life. Your slavery constantly calls you back to itself. It constantly calls out to you to return. And when we see it in this light, God is drawing you into the wilderness every day. Because this whole world is wilderness. And sin until the day you die will call out to you, holding out those chains, saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Let me put my yoke upon you. My burden is easy, and my yoke is light. It calls us back into slavery and reminds us of all those comforts and those meat pots. And it convinces us to continue living like slaves. Why? Because it's at least familiar and predictable. And that wilderness is that place that asks you a question. Do you want to go back or do you want to go forward? It's the place where you only have two voices. Two voices before you. One is an old master and one is your new one. And the wilderness says, choose this day whom you will serve. So how does God respond to Israel in their grumbling? Because it is some epic level grumbling. (laughs) He doesn't say, well, you complained against me. Now I'm going to have to kill all of you. No. He responds to all of that grumbling with grace. Grace. Extraordinary, ridiculous grace. Because he tells Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. 
I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people will go out and gather a day's portion every single day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, they will gather twice as much. Sometimes I wonder if Moses asked God to repeat himself just to make sure he heard it correctly. Did you say it's going to actually rain bread from heaven? Behold, Moses, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the Lord provides bread for his people. Not just any bread, but bread that literally falls out of the sky every morning. A little divine door dash waiting for him just outside their tent every day, just waiting right there on the ground. But all that comes with a stipulation. That each morning when they go out, they can only gather enough for that day and that day only. They couldn't back up the trailer and just start shoveling it in, trying to hoard it, trying to keep it, trying to get as much as they can. They could only gather enough for them and for their family for that day and that day only. But on the sixth day, they were supposed to gather twice as much because there wasn't going to be any bread on the seventh day because God was taking the day off. And so were they. And God is now introducing his people to a new rhythm of life. And he tells them, the seventh day, the seventh day of the week, it's a special day to me, and now it's a special day to you. It's the Sabbath day. It's Shabbat. It means rest. It's a day of rest. I'm not working, and you're not working either. You will rest. And God says he does all of this. He tells Moses he's doing this because he is testing his people. But he's not testing them just to see if they can follow some directions and instructions. He's not testing their willpower. He's testing them to see if they will trust him. He's testing them to see if they'll listen to his voice. He's testing them to see where his voice occupies whatever space it does in their life. Is it at the top? Is it at the bottom? He's teaching them and testing them to trust in his word, to trust in his voice each and every day. And this is the first thing that God teaches Israel about what it means to belong to him and to be his people. He leads them out into the wilderness so he can teach them the introductory 101 class that's at the heart of this new life. Your life is learning to trust in my voice and in my word every single day. But if we go deeper, God gives Israel these things to do. But what would all of this have done to them? How would this have changed them? It's easy just to think there's just some kind of simple rules, but what would it really have done to Israel? What would it have done to the people? Because you have to remember that all that Israel had ever known was slavery. They spent their entire lives for 400 years. All those generations spent every second of their life in chains. And this generation 
had spent their whole life in chains except the last month. And like we saw earlier, Egypt still calls out to them and they look to it for comfort because it was predictable, it was familiar in the face of the unknown in that wilderness. But when God gave them these commands, what was he doing? He was undoing the effects of their slavery because he's wanting to bring wholeness and healing to their souls. Why? Because slavery only taught them anxiety and self-preservation and toil and worry. The voice of their old master said, no one's looking out for you. There's no one coming for you. So you better look out for yourselves. Teaching them a life of self-preservation. They spent their whole lives living in this dog-eat-dog world of slavery, just trying to simply survive, trying to get by and store up for themselves anything that they possibly could to help make their life just a little bit more fractionally easier. Because when you're a slave, you live in poverty. And when you live in poverty, life is so fragile. Because even the smallest of setbacks can turn your life far more upside down than it already is. And Israel brought all of that slavery into the wilderness with them. And that is exactly what God wants to change in them. So, of course, when that bread fell that first day, a lot of them would try to keep it for the next day. Maybe they didn't eat as much so that they could try and stretch it out over the next few days. Why? Because that's what slavery taught them to do. But then the next day, when they went to get those leftovers, it was filled with worms and it stank. So then that anxiety hits. That survival mechanism starts to kick in and they think, what am I going to do? I don't have any food for me. I don't have any food for my family. And we're out here in the middle of nowhere. But then they'd go out and there was fresh bread waiting for them. But then maybe they did the same thing the next night. They left some over thinking that that first night was just kind of a fluke. Maybe it was a strange coincidence. But the next morning, it was rotten all the same. So then that moment of anxiety hits again, and they poke their head out of their tent wondering what they're going to do. And then there it was. New bread for a new day. And then the next night, they do a, a, a new experiment. They don't keep any left over this time. And they're willing to just take the smallest step of faith. And they go to bed and they don't really like how it makes them feel. They feel so vulnerable and out of control. But when they wake up the next day, there it was again. New bread for a new day. So what is all this doing to them? God is detoxing them from the effects of their slavery. He's calming their anxieties and slowly chipping away at their fears and bringing peace to all that chaos that's in their hearts. He's lowering the heart rate of their lives because with each new day, the bread is there. And over time, when they went to bed, 
They didn't even think about the fact that there wasn't any food in the house anymore. It was empty. And they didn't feel that vulnerability the way they did at first. And life didn't feel as out of control as it once did. In fact, it had gotten so much simpler. Behold the power of trust. God is detoxing them from a lifestyle of slavery and toil and self-preservation through what? By teaching them how to trust in Him each day. He's reconditioning their lives to the voice of this new master. He's moving them from a place of grumbling and fear and anxiety and bringing them into a new way of life because they would know, I'm going to be okay. There's going to be bread tomorrow because God said, there's going to be bread. He's teaching them that man does not live by bread alone. They live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of their God. And he is pulling their hearts out of Egypt, out into the wilderness. It's captivating their hearts and the trust of his people. And in that trust, that trust would cause Israel to experience something that they had never, ever, ever experienced before. Rest. Rest. Because on the sixth day, they would gather twice as much. But on that night, the complete opposite would happen of what happened every other night of the week. Because that night, whatever was left over didn't spoil so that they could rest. They could rest, which was something that their slavery in Egypt never allowed for them to do because it conditioned them to thinking all, all the time what could be around the corner. What tragedy might be next, always waiting for the hammer to drop. Teaching them to trust nothing and no one but themselves because life is so unpredictable. Always trying to think ahead and prepare for the worst and living an anxiety-filled and chaotic existence. But this master was different. Because he wants to bring peace to all their chaos in the harshest of environments of all places. Do you see how trust and rest go hand in hand? You cannot have rest if there is no trust. And if there is no trust, you will never, ever know rest. And Israel learned to trust the Lord over time. It started to dissolve away that anxiety calm that chaos within them, and they would receive this Sabbath as the gift that it was intended to be. Because they didn't have to worry about tomorrow because the bread was going to be there, and they could finally rest. But for some, they didn't actually trust because they went, on, they went out on the Sabbath to collect the bread. And whenever they realized that there wasn't any out there, Sure, they could go back to their tents and just kind of hang out there all day. But do you see how their lack of trust meant that they really couldn't rest? 
because the worry and anxiety and lack of trust was pulling their strings and compelling them to stay busy, to work, and to keep preparing for tomorrow. They simply could not let go of the chaos, and they continued to live like slaves because they weren't willing to trust. And God leads Israel into the wilderness to detox them from that old life of slavery. Which means that the wilderness is not about changing your external situation. It's about renewing your internal condition. And finding new life in the most harsh, stark, desolate, and unforgiving of circumstances. Because God is with you there. And it's where he calms all that chaos in their hearts. And all that toil begins to be transformed into trust. And they find rest. That was God's desire. But it never happened. Never happened. The truth is, Israel never learned to trust. Neither this generation or anyone after it. They never learned to answer that great question, who is the Lord, that we should obey him. They never learned that first lesson. They never learned that first lesson of what it means to belong to this new master, is that we listen to his voice and we trust in his word. And instead of their trust, they always continued throughout their history to look to the comforts of other nations, whether it was Egypt or Babylon or Assyria. They never wanted to be a people of trust, which means that they never experienced what God had for them. They couldn't move forward with the promises that God wanted to fulfill in them. Why? Because they didn't trust. And the author of Hebrews uses Israel's story as a warning and as a reminder for us as Christians. He says, hey, Christian, look back at that generation. He says they never entered into the rest of God because of their distrust and their unbelief. Do not harden your hearts when you hear his voice speaking out to you. But the author of Hebrews tells you that a that rest is still on the table. In fact, a greater rest is available to you. And in fact, a greater bread is offered to you than one that Israel ever knew. But you have to find Jesus. You have to find Jesus in the wilderness. You have to find him in the wilderness of this world. Because he is the one who redeems the wilderness for us and brings purpose to it, a new life. Jesus is your bread for each new day. Jesus is the rest that will calm the chaos in your heart. And Jesus relives this story and he reoffers those same invitations back to his people. Whenever Jesus is baptized in Matthew 4 and he begins his ministry, what happens? Well, it says that he was immediately led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted. And he too traveled in the wilderness for 40 days and he got hungry. 
fasting those 40 days. And in that moment of his greatest hunger, the serpent comes to him and says, Why don't you turn those stones into bread? Why don't you come and do what I say to you? Why don't you come and listen to my voice? He says, No. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know what that says to you? The fact that Jesus would step into the wilderness of this world and enter into the wilderness and his temptation, it means you don't have to be afraid of the wilderness because he redeems it for you. He redeems it by saying 100%, as hard and as certain as concrete, God uses the wilderness to tell his story. And God will use the wilderness to tell yours. And it's there that he will meet you. And it's there that he will bring about new life within you. Are you willing to listen to his voice and to trust in him? And in John 6, Jesus leads the people out into the wilderness. Because that's what he does. He leads them to that desolate place where there's no bread and all the people were hungry. And Jesus makes bread appear once again out of nowhere and he feeds the 5,000. But then when all the people marvel, he says, you're looking at the wrong bread. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of heaven that the Father has sent to give life to this world. Whoever looks at me will have new life. I am the bread. I am what is available to you every single morning. In Matthew 11, Jesus gives the invitation to see him as the rest that your soul has longed for all your life. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's the same thing that God was telling and teaching Israel in the wilderness, in your weariness, in your heavy ladenness, in those wilderness places. You will find rest. Come, take my yoke upon you. Take my mastery upon you and listen to my voice. Learn from me. And trust me, and you will find rest. So how about you? How can we put all this together? Maybe the best way to lay this passage over our lives is just to ask this simple question. Do you ever feel rested? Do you ever feel rested at all? Do you ever feel at peace? Even a small measure of peace. A small measure of rest. The type of rest that says it's all going to be okay when everything around you says it's not. And maybe you say, no. I don't ever feel rested. And let's at least be honest and let this story challenge us. Because perhaps it means that you don't 
really trust Jesus. You don't really trust him. Sure, you believe in him. You can tell someone what he's done, but you don't really trust him. We get in that rhythm where we give Jesus a head nod and a fist bump on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week you starve yourself. You starve yourself in the wilderness of this world. And so you go through life, through the wilderness of this life, and all that's left, if we don't find life in him, is to live like a slave. That's it. Living according to the voice of your old master that taught you that no one's coming for you. You're on your own, man. Your life depends 100% on you. You better stay busy. Living according to the voice of that old master that says fear and anxiety and self-preservation, that is the norm. And chaos is all that you will ever know. And it's in those wilderness moments of life that the voice of that old master calls you back to its comforts, calls out to you. It says, return to those meat pots. Come. It'll be different this time. Come back to me. And you remember them with fondness, but every time you go back to them, it's not as good as you thought, and you're still starving and restless. But at least it's comfortable, familiar, and predictable. And it's there in that moment that your old master says, it's okay. This is just how life is. And this is all that's available for you. But Christian, you have been bought, purchased, redeemed from Satan's sin and death. And you belong to a new master now. A master that wants you to know the rest that comes from trusting in him. He's the master that says in the wilderness, find me, feed on me. I am your life. I am what's available to you every single day. Stop listening to that old voice. Stop listening to that old master. You belong to me. Listen to my voice and find rest. Because he is the master that leads you by his steadfast love. He's the master that meets you in the wilderness of this life. And he's the master that says, out of you will flow rivers of living water in the desolation of this world. And I know there's a part of you that thinks to yourself, that sounds so good and so impossible. Well, that's probably how Israel felt too. Whenever they first heard that bread was going to fall out of the sky. For the glory of Christ and the life of the world, let's pray.